Hello, beautiful. And what I really want to know is, what is good in your life today? This is Kia, and this is another episode of the Female Veterans Podcast. Today, I have with me Jillian, and she is incredible. She is entrepreneur, and she is doing something with fashion that is really, really important to me, making it sustainably. So I'm so excited to have her here. She is a shipmate of mine, you know, go Navy. Not that I don't love everybody, but you know how it is. And um, I'm so excited to talk about her experiences in the military and talk more about her company and how you can get involved in supporting her mission. So welcome, Jillian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. So let's launch right into it. Uh, what made you join the military? So I come from a military family. My grandfather was Army. I had an aunt that was in the Marine Corps. I had a cousin that was Army. We did not have anyone in the Navy yet. But um, I do you remember when G.I. Jane came out? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was obsessed with G.I. Jane, but like, I feel like women watch that movie and they're like, I want to do that. I totally want to do that. And then you join and you find out like, oh shoot, women actually can't be in Mm -hmm. the seals, you know, like then you kind of find out the truth. But anyways, so that movie, I think prompted a lot of my ideas like, oh, maybe I should do that. Um, So all through high school, I had wanted to join the Navy. Um, My mom did not because I, let's say I graduated in 2005. So obviously September 11th happened, you know, a few years before that. And I think my mom was just like petrified of having me go into the military when we're in the middle of a war. Um, So she steered me a little bit different, but I actually ended up going to Norwich University, which is a private military college. I think they're actually the first private military college in the United States, and it's in Vermont. So I went there as the civilian. My grandfather tells me stories to this day, like when he went there, it was for males only women weren't allowed to to live on the campus. So when he was there, first it was male only. Then when they started letting the women come to the school, they had to be bussed over from a different, whole different area, like miles away. They weren't even allowed to be close to them. So anyways, he has all these stories about that. So I went to Norwich as a civilian. I ended up joining the Navy after my freshman year. I just, I was raised in a small town. Then when I went to college, it was still a really small town. And I was like, I just need to get out of here and like grow and experience life beyond the borders of Vermont and beyond the borders of these small towns. So when I joined, I'm really good at math, just like, it's just how my brain works. I have a very logical brain. I That's why I was an engineer in the CBs. So I wanted, I actually wanted to be an MP because I wanted to just quickly go through boot camp, go through a school and then come back and finish school. And when I got, (laughs) when I went with the recruiter and they were trying to figure out like where to place me for a job, they were like, what about the CBs? They need engineers. You know, there was a sign-on bonus at that time. They're like, you should really do this. They're so cool. And so I started looking into them and it like, it's such a small community, just such a small subset of the Navy. And maybe there's other communities in the Navy too that are like that. But it was just, 
it was perfect. It ended up being like the perfect fit for me. So I joined, I ended up going to Fort Leonard Wood for my engineering training, went back to Norwich and then finished up undergrad school. And then I went active duty after that. So. So that's really cool. You went through a military college Mm -hmm. and then became a CB, which I understand. I mean, everybody knows it's commonly known in the Navy that the CBs are cool. And it's like a a dope sort of separate organization within the organization, right? Yeah. Yeah. Much props for that. It's really cool um, to be a female in the CBs. Yeah. And so um, at what point did you go to boot camp? Oh my gosh. Let's see. I shipped out, I think it was like May 21st, 2006, I went to boot camp. And it was right when they were kind of sunsetting like the old ships. And I don't know if you went there when they had the older buildings or the new ones, but they were like trying to get rid of the older buildings. And so right in the middle of boot camp, we had to like pack up all of our stuff and move over to the new building. And then it was just completely different. Like we went from... We left the building every day. Like you marched to Chow, you marched to PT, like you always were leaving the building. You never stayed there. And then in the new buildings, I it literally felt like we were in the building all day. I mean, everything was there. Like the Chow Hall was downstairs. You know, I think we did leave for PT, but it was like really close. It was just so different. Everything was new. Like we had gotten used to the old buildings and like all the nooks and crannies, right? Like where you had to clean. And now with it was a whole new, right in the middle of boot camp. And I was in 900 division, which I know people are like, ooh, 900 division. <laughs> so, you know, we were kind of like, I wouldn't say picked on at boot camp, but, you know, we were definitely like favored and <laughs> got a little preferential treatment, I would say. Um, so you will not believe this, but I was also 900. Yes. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. And definitely we were in the old buildings because I went to boot camp in the mid nineties. So okay. Everything was old and yes, yeah. we marched everywhere. In fact, in our company, we did performance marching. So we did um, like all these fancy march drills and everything. Everything and we did them on graduation weekend. So another thing of being a 900. That's awesome. Yeah, we did state flags. So we were like twirling all the flags around (laughs) and we have to do that whole thing at graduation. Yeah, so fun. Yeah. Very cool. (laughs) Very cool. And I think we had another, we had to, um, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, Um, my job and I was part of the house crew. Uh So, you know, so people went to work in the child hall for a week and and do all of that when we stayed in the house. And so I had to clean there, but my other job was serving at graduation. So we would clean the, the drill hall for graduation and everything that was part of our duties. And we were integrated, which half of our company was guys. Right. Uh And, and so I would end up serving cake and making Kool-Aid for the officers who participated in the graduation ceremony. So that was like my big job during boot camp. And then afterwards we would eat cake and (laughs) drink Kool-Aid before we'd have to go back and join everybody. So when you talk about getting picked on for being 900 and stuff, I totally feel that. Yeah. People are like, that doesn't even count. Like if you're in a 900 division, it doesn't even count. I'm like, I literally did the same stuff. (laughs) Yeah. 
So did you make any strong connections during boot camp? Because I can imagine having that shift right in the middle of boot camp would have been sort of its own little culture shock from going from marching everywhere and doing everything to everything being centralized. And I, I imagine that would be something that would be pretty bonding for a group of people who all experienced that. So did you form any strong connections? For sure. My bunkmate, like she was awesome. There was another girl I actually, so I went on deployment in Okinawa, Japan. I think it was there close to a year. And I was at a bar over there and I saw this girl from across the room and I'm like, she looks so familiar. And she was one of our like leading people, not, oh my gosh, what did she do? She either like did the marching or, you know, she's like one of our leaders in the, Mm -hmm. in the um, ship. So anyways, I saw her at the bar and I went over and I was like, Hey, do you remember me? And she was like, yes, I do. So, you know, I just randomly, the world is a small place. Like when you really start to think about it, you bump into people, you just, it's, it, it was crazy. So I hung out with her for a little while. That was really nice. That's beautiful. I yeah. When that happens. I would love to run into anyone I went to boot camp with. I feel yeah. like that's one of the beautiful things about being in the military is that sort of camaraderie and that family sort of feeling that if you ever bump into anybody at any point in your life and you recognize each other, it's going to be hugs. It's going to be love. It's going to be a conversation and yes. it's going to feel just absolutely amazing. Absolutely. I've I have people on my social media from Battalion and we always talk about like, we just need to get together and just have a reunion. Like get the whole Battalion together and have a reunion. You know, everybody's got kids now and like Mm -hmm. whatever. But I just think, hopefully we really do it one day. We've been literally talking about it for like 10 years now, but (laughs) we just need to do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that too. Some of the guys, I had a a great group of friends that I hung around with and I'm Mm -hmm. still in, in touch with with most of them on, you know, Facebook or social channels. And then um, we often will say, oh, we need to connect. We need to, and, and yeah. I'm, I will like visit people when I can, if I'm yeah. in your state and I know that you're there, I will just be like, Hey, I'm coming to Colorado. <laughs> what are you, doing? Like, yeah. you know, and connect with people But I love it. But a reunion would be just absolutely amazing because you know what? Life is short. And yeah. I will tell you, in a, the blink of an eye, I've been out of the military for, for, for 22 years almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in the blink of an eye, it went by so fast. So those reunions, you got to make them happen. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So tell me, after boot camp, you went and did more training, right? What was the next part of your experience? Yep. So I went straight from there to, we called it Fort Lost in the Woods, Missouri. So (laughs) Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. So it's an army base, Army Corps of Engineers. So the army did our training and like the Air Force was there. I don't remember many Marine Corps. I don't know if the Marine Corps was there, maybe. But anyways, um, so we went straight there and like that, I felt like A school was 10 times harder than boot camp. I don't know if it's just how CBs do things or if that's how everyone's experiences in the Navy, but like it was hardcore. We were like, <laughs> it was way harder and longer. I mean, I was there, I think A school was like four months and it was just, yeah, I thought it was way harder, but 
it was also fun. Like we, you know, you worked hard, you went to school all day, like whatever, but you know, you had a little more flexibility and being able to like get off base. Well, some people did like you had to be, so I was a high performer in, I graduated at the top of my class in engineering school too, which is both a curse and a blessing because like you get these special privileges, you get to go off base and like the air force actually got cars at their tech school. So they got to like drive around and whatever. And so I would buddy up with them and we'd go out and do whatever we wanted to. It was like, crazy. And then other people were confined to base. But anyway, so because I graduated at the top of my class, I had to lead the CB song in front of everyone at graduation. And like, I used to be so shy then. I My face, just everything was like so beat red. I had everyone staring at me to lead the song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I can just imagine. I recently started taking singing lessons Mm -hmm. and I can just imagine my own self prior to that. (laughs) Like it took me six months to just be okay with singing in front of my vocal coach on a regular basis. So singing in front of everybody (laughs) and leading, oh my God, I would have probably had a nervous breakdown before that happened. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. For, for A school for me was kind of, I mean, it was rigorous because I was a hospital corpsman, mm. but it was, it wasn't hard. And we did have a lot of freedom that there we had a new building. So when we went to A school, okay. beautiful new building for which we, we, we lived where our barracks were. Um, not the school itself. And it was a lot of fun, I think. And um, we finished, I think I went in January, we finished in May, and then I became staff at the same base. So I never left Great Lakes the entire time. Wow. I was in, I didn't get an opportunity to deploy. I remember I wanted to go on a ship really bad. And I was torn because I didn't know if I wanted to go to field med and and do mm-hmm. that or go on a ship. And then I was trying to decide and I ended up not doing either <laughs> of those oh things. Oh my gosh. And I and the only way I saw a ship is I went on a tour of oh one. Oh my gosh. And that's yeah, how same. I had to see I, the ship. Same. I never saw a ship when I was in the Navy either. Like, you know, CBs don't go on ships. Mm-hmm. And so I never did either. Could you, I don't know, we had some corpsmen attached to our CB battalion. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get that chance or was that? I could have, that was an option yeah, too, to go was, with the CBs. Yeah. Like we had a lot of options there. I, I opted to, what I did was I wanted, I decided to go to C school, mm-hmm. which was my choice. And I was trying to figure out which C school I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went OJT into the pharmacy to just see if I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up falling in love with it. But what the thing was that happened was I got to do everything that I wanted to do. So I was equivalent to a pharmacist, right? And then I thought, I'm already doing it. (laughs) Why am I going to go to school? And then I will have to extend my my obligation of service. So, And I wanted to get out and actually go to college. Because that's why I went in. I went in to get the GI Bill. So also, I could have probably gone in as an officer. But I think my recruiter was really leaning leaning me towards being enlisted for his own reasons, number Mm -hmm. one, which is fine, which is cool. But he was honest about the obligation of service that I would owe. And Mm -hmm. it would have, I think, worked out to be 12 years. 
And I thought, well, and I, and I enlisted at 17. Like I was still in high school when I decided to go in and I didn't even take the SATs. I took the ASVAB and I scored well. And they were like, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, "Mm, maybe I'll go ROTC. And then he was like, well, you could, you know, it's one of those kind of things, but this is how much you'll owe in time. And I thought to myself, at 17, oh my God, I'll be like in my 30s. I'll be so old. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I need to get out before I'm like, you know, old, <laughs> which was really silly oh, yeah. in retrospect because that's not old at all. But yeah, so that was how I made my decision. And I, I really loved it though. I loved being enlisted and I loved going through the process of a school and being staff and having that, it was kind of like, there was a lot of freedom in it, oddly for me anyway. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. the fact that it was like having a job. So I just put on my uniform, go to work, do my job. I, I actually wouldn't even arrive in my uniform. I'd be in civilian clothes once I was staff. Mm-hmm. And then I would shift into my tech uniform and then, which wasn't even a complete uniform. And then I'd change out of my tech uniform back into my civilian clothes and go home. And I just, you know, lived, lived my life that right. way. And right. it, it really felt um, less, I think probably like less of a military experience for me yeah. than some other people had. But I remember also in a school, some, some of us had freedom like that that began, began there. and. Others of us, like, because we had C-schools for all the other jobs in the military on the other side of the base. Mm-hmm. So there was hospital side and there was the C-school side for all the other jobs. And so um, they didn't have that same thing. They couldn't leave the base when they wanted. They oh, couldn't, interesting. they had to stay in their uniform. They could, you know, so being a hospital corpsman also, it was like being in a yeah. 900 company. And yeah. it was the same treatment that just continued on right after boot camp for me. Yeah. Same. I think it's like, if you're like squared away and if you're an intelligent person, right. And if you like apply yourself and they see that you're actually like trying and you're mature, right. I do think you typically get probably a little bit of preferential treatment versus if you, you know, don't want to listen, if you're constantly rebelling, if you're, you know, not applying yourself, if you're not doing well in school, like if you're not absorbing the training, life's probably going to be a little more difficult for you, right? Like they're going to have you under their thumb. You're going to be like sweeping and cleaning the floors every night and like, oh my gosh, all that stuff. Oh yeah. I did. I saw both sides of that actually during my time in. I got to experience both of those. So I am very aware of how that works. Like I, there were definite moments where I was the favorite and Mm -hmm. there was lots of favoritism alive and well, I'm here to tell you. And I'm sure everybody listening already knows, right? But I also got to see the flip side as my best friend was hated on that base, hated. And I got to see him persecuted, even almost abused um, by his superiors. And eventually that association began to tarnish me. And I had to, at some point, sort of make a shift in my behaviors and what I was doing in order to, you know, make it through my service without, you know, major issues, you know? So I definitely hear what you're saying. I saw it in action. That's crazy. Very clearly. 
with yeah. a lot of people too. I mean, obviously it's the military. You are there, you're supposed to conform. But people, yeah. but I, I was a bit of a free spirit and I sort of was able to coast on, you know, mm-hmm. that free spirit doing my own thing sort of thing. And people would just go, oh, that's Baker, you know? <laughs> you know, and same, I was able to get away same. with it a bit, but some people were not given that at all. Yep, yep. I agree. I remember like I got to be friends with the guy that set the watch schedule and, you know, he would like put me on for like a Saturday watch and I'm like, oh, you know, I really actually, I really had plans. Can you find somebody else to cover? He'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me call you back. Let me see if I can find somebody. And he would, but like all the time, I mean, it was bad. (laughs) Oh my God. So I actually had a chief that I was really good friends with. Okay. I don't think I've ever told anyone this story, right? I was really good friends with him. He was just cool. He was like, almost like a, I wouldn't say like a father figure, but like a big brother, Mm -hmm. like a Mm -hmm. figure, even though he was probably old enough to be my dad. If he had a really young kid or kids really young. Right. And so, um, I remember he was in charge of barracks inspection. (laughs) Oh Yeah. And he also had this side hustle back when there were, you know, um, plug-in phones, like home phones, right? We had this (laughs) other side hustle, right? And he sold phone service. So I bought my phone service through him, right? Just not thinking. I thought, oh, that sounds like a good deal. Let me know more about it. And he told me and I was like, yeah, I'm in. So I got my phone service from him. So I was a customer of his. And let me tell you, anytime someone was like, my room did not pass inspection, I'd be like, chief, I don't understand. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) I don't understand, but hey, you told yours. So I'm telling mine. Oh yeah. (laughs) So I don't understand why my inspection failed. Will you go and take a look at it? And he'd go and take a look at at it and I wouldn't touch anything. Right. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I went in and cleaned it or anything like that. I wouldn't touch anything. I'd just be like, chief, will you go look? I don't understand why this is not passing. Yeah. And he would go look and he'd be like, no, it's passing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like people must do that and just not talk about it. Right. Like I think everybody, I don't know. Yeah. Some people, but you know, since we brought it up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it happens. <laughs> yeah, it does happen. And I know a lot of people will identify with that. So tell me, what what was your experience like at, as active duty? Did you move around a lot? Did you have some really great duty stations? Yeah. So I was actually, let's see, um, between the time. So I was in the reserves just while I finished undergrad. Um, and then I took orders to go active duty. And I could have commissioned too. I just... Oh my gosh. I dated this guy in high school who had been in the Marine Corps for years. He got emancipated from his parents, went really early. And he was like, don't just direct commission because like people don't have a lot of respect for those officers. It's better if you go in and it's listed and then you like switch over if you want to. So I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't really believe that. And then once I went active duty, there was an, I had an ensign who, um, he direct commissioned and he was seriously like the most disrespectful person I've ever met. And, you know, I can't say for sure if he was sexist, but like there was probably eight of us in the engineering shop. And like if copies needed to be made, if paper needed to be cut, you know, like administrative tasks and stuff like that always came to me. If engineering work needed to be done on the base, always picked one of the others. So, you know, can't say for sure, like whatever, but he was just, 
So I remembered like my boyfriend at that time telling me like people that just direct commission aren't, you know, whatever. And you could tell he was just super inexperienced. He was nervous leading people. And I was like, oh my God, if we ever go to war, like this is not the man I want to be following. Like, no. (laughs) So anyways, I ended up going enlisted as well. I had gotten married between the time that I went active duty. So up and moved that poor guy down to Gulfport, Mississippi. That's where I was stationed. He had never left New Hampshire. We arrive in July or August in Mississippi. It is so hot. Like you step out and you're just drenched. And as soon as I checked into battalion, I had to go through engineering combat school. So that was like a month out in the Mississippi heat, full Kevlar gear, shooting M4s, like... And it sounds really brutal, but I loved every minute of it. I also graduated at the top of my class of that engineering combat school as well. And it was just, it was intense. It was hot, but like, I loved it. So every day we'd leave base at like 3 or 4 a.m. And then we'd get back like really late at night. So it was long days, but you did get to go home, you know, to sleep. And then you just came back the next day. But so I did that. And then as soon as I was done with that, I got orders to go on deployment to Okinawa. And while we were there, that's when Obama did the troop surge. So then I ended up staying there longer because it kind of threw off the rotations with all all the battalions. So we stayed there a little longer, went back to base, and then they needed an engineer to go to San Antonio, Texas for a detachment. And I told my chief at that time, I was like, look, all these other guys, like they're not married. I just got married. Like we're already on the rocks because I've been on deployment for the first year of our year and a half of marriage. Like, can I stay and can you have someone else go? And he was like, no, like you're going. So they sent me, yeah. So they sent me to the detachment, which was fun. I had a blast. And then my husband actually ended up being able to drive out and like see me. He came out once to San Antonio. So, you know, whatever. But it's just when you're young and like in the military and married, that's just... It didn't work. Like it didn't end up working out. It just didn't. So then when I was done in San Antonio, so I was probably there for six months, I think at least. And then again, right in the dead of heat in the middle of the summer, it was so hot. So then went back to Mississippi and then it was almost time to process out. I only had like a couple months of active duty left and I didn't even think about like reenlisting because I was still, I mean, we were still married. And at the time I was like, I'm going to get out and try to make this marriage work. We haven't even given it a shot. Like I've been on deployment the whole time. (laughs) So like, I feel like I should at least try. So then we were also going through FECS, field exercise training too. And my chief, the same one that had sent me on detachment, he was like, you need to go to FEX. But by that time, I had already started my master's program. I only had like one semester left. I was in the last semester. I was processing out in two months or less. And he was like, no, you need to go. And I tried to like explain to him like, why? I'm not even like, I'm not staying in. We've already started, you know, processing my orders out or whatever. So he told me no. So I ended up, my roommate from Okinawa was the like admin assistant for, (laughs) I want to say the CEO because I've been in the civilian world so long, the XO in Command Master Chief. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting a meeting with, I think, Command Master Chief and just told him what was happening. And he's like, you're not going to fax. Like, we're not going to make you flunk out of 
your master's program and like do all this stuff, go sleep in a field for a month. If you're getting out, like this doesn't even make sense. So then he went and told my chief, like, no, she's not going to fix. And then when I came in the office the next day. He, the, my chief pulled me in his office and just like screamed at me so much. And I was just like, okay, chief, like literally, I mean, what do you like? I, you know, I tried to approach him about it, but, and him and I had a little backstory. So I wasn't always well-behaved like in a school and stuff. I didn't really get in trouble, but I think they knew that I had some trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, you know, we had a little history and I, I think maybe that had something to do with it. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hold on. No, what were you getting into? That's what I want to know. And that's what I'm sure everybody wants to know. Oh my gosh. I mean, I didn't, I never got in trouble. Like I was never put on restriction or anything like that. But I did like to party like a lot. I like to uh, go out. I got a lot of extra liberty, you know, because I was such a good student and like I was so squared away with my PT and like room inspections and all of that stuff. I don't know. I just got a lot of extra liberty. So I never actually got in trouble. So I'm not sure if the friction came from the preferential treatment that he saw I was getting or maybe he knew that like I like to party, but. I never got like caught doing things I shouldn't have been. I'm not exactly sure really like where the issue was. I just, as soon as I saw him at battalion, like I could, you know, you can sometimes feel the tension and I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's weird. So when you say you like to party, Uh what's that about? (laughs) Um... Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I've always been like that. So here's like, so I come from a long line of actually of alcoholics and I think like, first of all, it's just, it's in my blood. And I, I think like starting in middle school, I used to get in a lot of trouble, like middle school, high school. I got, I got in trouble because I just, I like to party. So I was always this straight A student. I was the kid that sat in the top, like front of the class top. I graduated top of my class. I, you know, I got scholarships for college. Like I was an athlete. I did national honor society. I did student council. Like I did all the things I was supposed to do, Mm -hmm. but outside of school and outside of those activities, I was like this wild child. I was just like a completely different person and just like such a rebellious side. But I still managed to keep my grades up. And like, you know, it was, I don't know, I was just a really like contrasted person. I don't really know how else to explain it. You know what is really funny? It's that I feel like kind of we might be twins. (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) I have been known to enjoy to have a good time. And in fact, when I, one of the reasons I chose the Navy was also my recruiter was when I went in to see him, I was, had a choice between the Air Force. I was choosing between Mm -hmm. the Air Force and the Navy. And when I went in to see the Air Force recruiter, he was so perfect. He was like perfect uniform. He had this amazing presentation. He was well-spoken. He was just completely what you would say, sat. Like he was Mm -hmm. almost, he was actually exemplary. And then I went in to see the Navy recruiter 
And he was sitting down. I'll never forget. I walked into the, the office at my private school, like the guidance counselor's office, and he had taken over the office, one of the offices. And he was sitting there, leaned back in the chair with his feet up on the desk. His uniform was like wrinkled. He was just like, oh, hey, sit down. I forgot my uh, presentation. So let's just talk. And I was like, what is happening here? And then he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, because I was coming from private school, (laughs) I was like, so um, do you have a lot of freedom in the Navy? Do you get to have a good time? Do you get to have fun with everybody? And he, so we talked about all the fun that you could have in the Navy, right? You haven't been in the Navy. I challenge how much fun you actually had <laughs> while you yeah. were serving. So being that girl, I was looking for trouble because I was coming from private school, which was, mm-hmm. I was going from very structured to very structured, but it was my first bit of freedom, right? It right. within that structure. So um, when I was in the Navy, it was in the mid nineties and that was the rise of underground parties. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was doing when I was in the Navy. So when you talk about like sort of a dual life, this contrast was I was in uniform. I was holding it down. I was doing my job every day. On the weekends, I might have been you know, dressed as a fairy <laughs> or a pixie yep. or something. Like I had crazy makeup on and crazy outfits on. And I was going into downtown Chicago and going to these underground parties mm-hmm. and just having the time of my life. And also helping people because a lot of those kids were younger than us and we yep. were trained hospital corpsmen. There was a group of us that would go and we would ha- go have like a dance battles. There were a lot of break dancers. A oh, lot yeah. Of, you know, so we'd go have, we had a, like a whole dance crew and we'd go to these underground parties and dance. Yep. But admittedly, there were a lot of things that were against regulations going on there. More alcohol and more. So, right. I mean, right. we should not have been in that environment at all, admittedly. Yeah. But yeah. we did help a lot of people because we took an oath and we we probably saved lives, actually. Mm-hmm. In fact, I know we did down there mm-hmm. that some of those kids wouldn't be alive today if, if a group of Navy corpsmen hadn't been at some of yeah. those parties. Oh, yeah. Like that. Yep. So I feel you on that. And I have been known to enjoy a cocktail even today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, so you were able to sort of hold it down at work and go out and enjoy yourself in the evening. Uh-huh. Um, but it didn't really affect how you were viewed on the base. No, oh, that's no not really. Yeah. That's good. So your chief then was aware of this and that this side of you, and you think he had some sort of like energy that was not positive? I think so. I mean, he must've, I'm, I'm like, maybe I forgot. I don't ever remember him like, because I never got in trouble when I was at a school mm-hmm. with him. So right. I'm guessing he just knew like I liked to party and then I just never got caught or something. I'm not <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He had his eye on you. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. He did. Yep. So I do know that they absolutely hate, like the rule is if you have an issue in the chain of command, right? Mm-hmm. You go to the next person up in the chain of command. So everyone knows that's the rule, but tell me why they hate it (laughs) so much when you actually exercise that. I know. Right. So I can just imagine to be a fly on the wall with you getting reamed out for doing it. I mean, you really had no choice. Really? You were going to go to, that made literally no sense. Did he have it out for you or something that would have cost you so much more to go (laughs) to that training than to just not go to it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It was really weird. It was weird. To this day, I don't know. 
I mean, I don't know. It's actually pretty common. Those kinds of things happening to people. I, I hear, I've heard that a handful of times, even back in, uh, as far as I remember, I had a guest, um, a couple seasons back, Jennifer McNeil, mm. I think it was last season or the season before. And she served in the army, I want to say, and she was serving in the seventies, seven, she served 20 years, but she was started in the seventies. She had a situation yeah. occur that was like that, where they wanted her to go do something. And she wasn't, it wasn't a good fit for her and she had to advocate for herself. In fact, that's what that episode is all about being a woman in the military and having to advocate for yourself, which is what you did because otherwise what would have happened? You would have lost your master's program. You would have had to what reenlist stay in longer or extend until that training was done. And what for, because you knew you were already getting out. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I try to see it from his point of view. I'm like, I could totally see if I was thinking about reenlisting, like if there was any thought at all, but I knew and he knew because we had talked about it. We just had our evals that I was getting out. So I don't know. It was weird. And I was the only female in our shop, which I don't know. It's like some people were a little more lenient towards me. And then I feel like others maybe were over strict to compensate for the people that are being lenient, you know, something like that. It was odd. Yeah, I definitely had my share of detractors, we'll say, (laughs) as, um, as, as my story. In fact, actually, I am starting a new project and it is going to be, spoiler alert, it's a book with a bunch of us female veteran stories in it. And in that book, I am going to share what happened to me in the military that made me decide that um, definitely not staying in, definitely getting out and change my whole way of life. And potentially even was why I got married so young. So that story is going to be in the book and I haven't really told it on the podcast, I don't think. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. Good for you. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. So what do you think your biggest challenge was? In the military? Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I think people don't mature as quickly in the military. Like, I think there's a lot to be proud of. I think there's a lot of resources available. Like, if you want more training, if you want more, you know, to go to college, things like that. But I think, like, having someone tell me what to do for, you know, I was in for five years, right? Someone to tell you what to do, what to wear, how to act, you lose some of that independent thinking. And I think it just kind of like stunted my maturity probably because I think, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Like it's clear through my behaviors and through things that I've done in my life. The military is not a safe place. Maybe now, I don't know, right? I've been out since 2011, but it was not a safe place to go forward and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. When I got to battalion, I did finally get in trouble one time when I was in battalion when we were in Okinawa, but it was like a slap on the wrist. Like it wasn't really, Mm -hmm. it wasn't really anything. And I just, I don't think I grew up when I was in the military. I don't. I think I got to go a lot of different places. I got to experience things. I met phenomenal people. Like I had the family in the military that I never had in my personal life, right? I think that was probably a huge part of me joining was like, I just needed 
a family around me. But then I just, you know, you don't, I just don't feel like I really like grew up, I guess. Wow. Yeah. I understand how you could feel like that because really, I mean, you, granted, you do have to pay your bills if you live off base and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but you get allowances and you get, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's a pretty cushy setup. It can be. And it it is easy to not have to really stand on your own two feet because you're still being told. That was the thing for me too. I think partially, like it was, I was my first time on my own. I had my first car, my first apartment, but I had that salary, that paycheck. And I still always had people telling me what to do. And if I got into trouble financially, I could always go to any sort of relief or whatever organization Mm -hmm. and, and people, you know what I mean, would help me. And And so I think when I got out of the military, the transition was incredibly difficult for me, Yeah, but it was the learning that I needed, like not having people really dictating to me anything. And actually that freedom that I was longing for the entire time, maybe even from private school, because I went from private school street to structure to structure, even more structure, I would say. Yeah. Um, that freedom that I was searching for and stealing on the weekends, I would say in the military was overwhelming when Mm -hmm. I was transitioning out. So I guess my next question for you is what was your transition out like? I think it was tough. I think some of the things you just talked about, I struggled with too, because I went, you know, I had parents that like, bless their hearts. They did try to be strict with me. They did. And I think the more that they tried to tighten those reins, the more rebellious I got. So I went from that and then I went to college for just a year and then I joined the military. So very similar. And then when I got out of the military, I was like, ah, oh my God, like, what do I do? And then I remember in the military, my dad had to be added to like my bank account to help me like manage my funds too, in case anything were to happen to me. So even when I was in, he would be like checking my bank statements to see like, what are you, why are you spending so much money at the bars? And just like, I always had that someone watching whatever I was doing. So when I got out and then all of a sudden it's like, you have to find your own job, first of all, right? Like you have all of these jobs. And I think a lot of people when they transition out is how do you sell your skill set from the military in the civilian world? Because yes, I was an engineer, hands-on experience, but did I have an engineering certification or an engineering like diploma? No. So I had to say, okay, what skills do I actually have that I can sell? So I took the project management component and that is how I built a resume and went into the project management field. But for people whose minds can't like put those pieces together, like, okay, this is what I did, but let me pick these five skills and apply it to a job that I could potentially do in the civilian world, right? Like they struggle. So I think that's the first hurdle. How do you... How do you get a job, right? Because they help you. They do that little class. This is how you write a okay. resume. But doing that versus actually finding it and then interviewing for a job, right? You go from this military, like everything is very methodical, right? And then you go to the civilian world and everything's laid back. So then you have to turn that switch off like that. No more like, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. No more of that rigid, like behavior. Now you have to be more fluid and cool and laid back. (laughs) And then, I mean, it's crazy. And then like, yeah. yeah. And then for me, like 
moving around. I mean, I didn't really move around in the military, but I went here, there and everywhere. Right. And even now, I mean, it's been 10 years. I still have a hard time like settling in one place. I still have that part of me. That's like, I still want to go see the world and do those things that I had wanted to see in the military, Mm -hmm. but in the military, I didn't see the places I wanted to see. I just saw where the military was. So, you know, I still have that part of me that still doesn't want to settle down. Like I still want to travel and like go here and there every few years. Yeah. I think those have been the biggest challenges for me. And so I I think a lot of us identify with that For, for me because, and even now, so when I came out, it was 2000. And corporate America looked a lot different before the millennials got their hooks into it, yeah. <laughs> I will say. Yeah. And so it wasn't quite as chill as it is now, but certainly the corporate culture was alien to me. Mm-hmm. And I just had an incredibly difficult time. And I had the same situation as you. I was a pharmacist. I had the equivalency of being a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. military. And when I came out, that wasn't going to translate. I was going to have to go to college and get a degree, which don't get me on my soapbox about why government training, military training should be Mm -hmm. equivalent to a college degree because I was doing the job for three years. So you mean I have to pay all of these hundreds of thousands of dollars to get an education, to do something I've been doing? Mm-hmm. Like some, there's a breakdown in the system there. That's Absolutely. all I'm going to say. Oh, That's my 100%. soapbox. <laughs> okay. Yep. So, but I definitely understand. And you have to get really creative with your resume. In addition, I went through a period of time where it wasn't cool. It was before 9-11, remember? So mm. it, it wasn't quite cool in some areas to even have that I was in the military on my resume. So I had to actually remove that off my resume and couldn't even use it as a job. So then you have to be like, what were you doing for the last five years to get these skills that you have on your resume? What's your chronological record of work employment? Yeah. Right. So it was a different animal for me. It was very difficult uh, to find my footing in in the civilian world. Also, something else that we actually have in common was being married young and being married in the military. Mm -hmm. And like yours, my marriage didn't work out. So I I wanted to know, I wanted to ask you, why do you think that we tend to get married in the military so young? So you don't have to live in the barracks. (laughs) I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Like if you are, what is it? Like E4 and below, if you're married, then you don't have to live in the barracks. You can live off base and the extra money, right? If When you're not making anything, like getting married, I mean, everyone knows, oh, if you get married, like your spouse can come with you. You can get extra housing allowance. You can get, you know, live off base, this and that. And I think that that's a huge driver versus if they just like gave you enough to live off anyway, and then you're significant other could come live with you and not get married and see how things go. I mean, I think the divorce rate in the military has got to be like, oh my gosh, I I can't even imagine. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, you got to shout it out to military spouses too, because I think I'm going to do a special (laughs) with military spouses because, you know, male and female, because it is incredibly difficult to be a military spouse. I mean, look what happened, what you were saying with your husband, you were gone you guys were a young couple. You had like no time to be married. How is that ever going to work? So I I tend to think that being in the military is it's it can be 
a recipe for disaster for for marriage, especially young newlyweds or even longtime couples with children and families because things happen on deployment. Let's just be honest. (laughs) You're gone for years and years from your spouse. Things happen. It's kind of like Vegas. (laughs) What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. There are a lot of challenges that marriages can face when you are in the military. Now, as for mine, we split up after I got out. And I was fortunate because I was able to move off base without having to be married. That's not actually why I got married. I got married so I wouldn't go to the brig. (laughs) But that's another story (laughs) for another day. (laughs) Okay. But again, when you marry for the wrong reasons, right, it's less Mm -hmm. likely that the marriage is going to work out. So um, I think that's part of the learning experiences though. And it's definitely part of the military experience for a lot of us getting married Mm -hmm. young. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. Um, And it was your experience as well. So once you got out of the military and you began to transition into your civilian life, what were some of the challenges that you faced adapting after you got a job? I think just losing that camaraderie, like the people, you know, in the military, you eat, sleep, breathe, like work. You're with these people all the time, day in and day out. And you just, I don't know. I feel like there's less competitiveness that you might see in the corporate world. Like, especially for people that are trying to move up the career ladder, I mm-hmm. think, especially for younger people, like there's just a lot of competition versus in the military, you're kind of all there supporting each other. I feel like, I don't know. I still feel like people, it's hard to take issues seriously in the corporate world because it's like, you know, it'll be an issue like the photocopier is broken, right? And it's like the end of the world for people. And you're like, can we just put this into perspective for a second? Like (laughs) if the photocopier isn't broken, nobody's going to die because of it. So I think from that military experience, I just put things into different perspective that other people might not. They're like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. Like last week, my boss was on vacation and somebody needed a presentation, had to have it right then. And, you know, she came back from vacation to help put together a presentation. And I'm like, number one, he could have just reached out to someone else. Number two, like the world is not going to end if he doesn't have his presentation ready three days early. Like it's just crazy. I think the corporate world just put the, the perspective just isn't there that you get in the military. It's like in the military, you make a mistake that could cost someone their life. Right. And it's just, it's hard to, I sometimes feel like I'm pretending like playing house in the corporate world honestly it's it almost feels like a game with no end it's just it's hard to explain like in the military you're actually like have to help each other and support each other and you work together and when you have problems in the military they're real problems they're not pretend <laughs> but in the corporate world i just don't feel that same it's it's hard i i mean i struggle to this day with that kind of stuff so, yeah, I can definitely understand that. This is why so many of us opt to work for ourselves. Yeah. And because it is like, which it's the, the issues are super superficial, like mm-hmm. uber superficial. And you're just sometimes looking like, oh my God, are you people for real? 
Like, yeah. is this for real? And, and this is me even now, like a million years after serving, but this, mm-hmm. the programming, I always say that I wasn't effectively programmed. <laughs> Some of the programming didn't take. And that's what I believed the entire time was why I had such difficulties because I was such a free spirit in a place where you couldn't be. Right. Yeah. And somehow it worked for me and somehow I made it. But when I came out of the military, I realized, oh, shit, that programming did actually kind of take some of it anyway. And so then I began to look at, you know, especially the corporate world. I was just like, I can't do this. This is, this is, I don't know how I'm going to survive. People are cut through unnecessarily Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. really small, stupid. And I'm like, listen, this job, if you want my job so bad, you can actually have it. Like, you don't have to like try to, you know, diminish my reputation or like do all Mm -hmm. these backstabbing things. It's just a job. It's a paycheck. Like, you know what I mean? This is real lives that you're like being this crazy over. So I think it just, like you said, is a perspective that we have leaving the military of what's important and what's not important. Mm -hmm. And also we have this leadership, whether you're an officer or not, like you are, you leave the military with leadership skills, right? Especially, actually, especially as enlisted person as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's just drilled into you. And so when you come out and you go into a corporate environment where the leadership is not good, it's like, you just, you can't, you can't manage It's like a recipe for a disaster. It's like almost like it breaks your brain. And so it's it's very difficult to go into the corporate world, at least that's my experience. I worked for a long time until uh, 2006. And then I was fortunate enough. I left because I had a small child, but I was fortunate enough to work in an internet startup where everything was Mm. like completely different and I loved it. And the only reason why I didn't continue on with that company and it was work from home, it was ideal for me, was because the market crashed and she lost her funding. So she had to shut the whole thing down and, and I had to walk away from that. And it's funny because the organization would have been so successful during the pandemic because it was placing, it was like a recruiter for flexible workplaces to allow oh. you to work from home or to have flexible hours. Yep. So it's just interesting to see how she was so ahead of her time. Shout out to Kira Kavanaugh, if you happen yeah. to but she was incredible. So I guess my next question for you is, we know how the corporate environment impacts you and impacts mm-hmm. me and impacts a lot of us as veterans. And so we strike out on our own to create our own businesses. And I know that you are doing that. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the fact that you are an entrepreneur and that you have a company that is called Brave Original Designs mm-hmm. and that you're working in the sustainability field for clothing. So how did you come up with that idea? Oh my gosh. Um, so my daughter and I recently moved to Florida and I actually, I used to have a really artistic like side of me that just, I mean, it was great, but then I think like I kind of funneled all my energy into the logical side of my brain and lost that artistic side. So when we moved to Florida, I don't know if it was just like 
like, hey, we're going to be artistic again. And I was just laying in bed one night and I was like, I can't sleep. I'm just going to draw. And then I just started drawing all of these designs. And I was like, where's this coming from? I don't know, but we're going to run with it. And then I had known someone in the military who him and his wife actually started a legging brand. And so like, they've really done a great job with it. And I'm like, you know what? If they can do this, like I can do this, but I want to do this sustainably, right? So like fashion is the... I think I read today, like the third most polluting um, industry. And so things like thrift stores and like circular fashion is actually becoming more popular. And they, they're looking, they think that that'll be a huge industry. So along with sustainably creating new clothing, there's this other side that I'll have that's really focused on circular fashion. And how do we bring in people's unwanted clothes and either resell them for them or else um, I want to give back to like homeless veterans. So I'm thinking we'll start with any clothes that can't be used, you know, resold, like if they're not in good shape, make quilts out of them or something like that, that veterans could have like blankets or make like tents with or whatever that they need. And then eventually, you know, that's kind of a band-aid fix, but I would love to like get into the space of how do you really rehabilitate them. So I know it's starting with fashion, but I think the end goal is really kind of over here with how do we help homeless veterans. It just like really hurts my heart to think about all of them. And that's kind of really the long-term vision of the company. So how we get there, you know, it's really all in God's hands. Like it truly is. I'm just trying to do the footwork, Um, but that's kind of the end goal. So that's beautiful. I I am very passionate about getting veterans off the streets as well. And the reason this podcast exists right now is because my grand vision is to create sort of a space to help female veterans get off the streets because there are less places for them to go, less shelters. Um, there are no preferential treatment for female veterans in shelters right now. So when you, if I believe personally, like if you've served your country, you shouldn't come back here and not have your most basic needs met. So if Mm -hmm. I'm on the streets and I go in and I'm like, I'm a veteran and there's any way for me to be able to prove that, I feel like I should get a bed that night. That's just my Mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know you have to be, especially if you're a female veteran with children, that should be like a priority bed. And it's not, Mm -hmm. there's no policies about that anywhere. So unless it's, through the personal organization, right? Right, right. So, and then there are also not a lot of places for female veterans, like private homes. There's not as many per state as there are for, for men. So, and, gen- and veterans in general don't have yeah. a lot of them. So I think that I absolutely agree with you. The aim for this whole podcast and everything I do is to work towards creating a foundation called Artemisia that mm. will do that that will provide some sort of intermediary housing for yeah. veterans to help them get off the street. I work with an organization called Passageways. They're out of Kansas and they've created a home for men. And I know that their vision is to create a whole community that would be mm. the first of its kind in Kansas to get to bring veterans off the streets, rehabilitate them. That's, that's what they do. They've graduated, yeah. I believe, over 100 and brought them from the streets, sometimes getting them cleaned up, sobered up, and then getting them into jobs and then into apartments and just providing so much for them. And that's sort of 
who my sort of icons are in the space of helping homeless veterans and which is why I work with them and definitely want to bring their vision to life. So I know that they are always looking for donations too. So if anyone is moved Mm -hmm. by what they're doing there with the community for homeless veterans that they're trying to build, I will put some information in the description area of the show. So when you read what the show is about, scroll down. And I'll put their information in there if you want to reach out to them, see what they're about and donate. But I feel you, Jillian, on your mission. I'm so like there with you. And I think it's beautiful, beautiful what you're doing on every level, especially with climate change and all of that, whatever you believe. I happen to believe in climate change. So I think that you uh, are doing a marvelous thing with the clothing. And I cannot wait for your first line to come out. I know we were talking before we started. Can you tell me when? we can expect to see um, some cool new designs Mm -hmm. from you. Sure. So we have um, an essentials release, which will be an organic cotton tank top t-shirt. Like it doesn't stretch. It's really nice. Um, And then a t-shirt dress, which is made of viscose bamboo and organic cotton. So those will probably be out within, I would say by the end of this month, early August. And then we have our first designs that I did. So it's two different designs and that should be ready. I would say August, September for release. That's so exciting. So tell us where we can find your products. Absolutely. So we have a website, www.braveoriginaldesigns.com. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Brave Original Designs is our hashtag. Amazing. So you already know, along with the information for passageways in that description area where you read what this episode is about, if you scroll to the bottom, you will find a lot more information. A lot of people don't know that. And I was asked to explain where to find it. So here it is. (laughs) Okay. So scroll down and then you will find out more information about what's going on with the podcast, links, Jillian's links for where to shop and to check her out on uh, social media. You'll find them there. So scroll down and then click on those links. And you can also find a link if you would like to donate to the show. For some reason, some people like to do that, which I appreciate is not necessary, but thank you. And you can also find a way to email the Female Veterans Podcast if you want to do that too. So that's all there along with Jillian's links, go check out her website. It's really cool. I am excited for everything that's coming for you. That t-shirt dress, I'm telling you, there will be pictures of me on my Instagram. So cute. And that t-shirt dress. Yeah. You can see it on Instagram, you guys, if you want a preview, check it out on her Instagram page. And it's really cute. I'm looking forward to owning that. Yes. Love it. Super versatile too. Like I, so many ways you can wear it. It's so fun. Yeah. I love yeah. that. That's a staple. It's a definite summertime staple, or if you live in warm weather, that is a staple. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that I've taken a lot of your time today and I am so grateful for it. So I just have one more question for you before we wrap it up. Will you tell me what advice you would have for our female veteran sisters who are coming up behind you? Mm. I think the best advice I would give is just to take the first step. So me starting this business, and I'm sure you had this experience too, it can be so daunting to think about everything that you want to do, especially if you're like very visionary and you know the really end goal that you want to get to. But don't even worry about that stuff yet. Just literally take the first step. 
and then just keep going, then take the next step. And I think just break it down into little, what's one thing that you could get done today and get that one thing done. And then you just do that every day. And then over time, it just adds up and then you'll have a business. So if that's your goal, maybe it's a fitness thing. Again, take that first step, right? Like go out for a walk for five minutes and then you've started and just really slow first steps and then you'll get to where you want to go. So that would be my my best advice. That's amazing advice, yeah. actually. I like to say, you know, um, what is the next right action? And if you don't know what that <laughs> is, there's someone who does know. So use Google, use your social media, ask people you know, who knows what you want to do? Like who's already doing it? And how you can connect with them to ask them what that next step is that you need to take, right? And then, um, because if you don't ask, you don't get, right? So you need to ask and find out what it is and then actually take it. And then just baby steps if you have to, but you'll get there and just believe you can and and keep visualizing that successful outcome, right? Mm -hmm. And it all begins with taking that next step. So that's- Brilliant advice, Jillian. Thank you so much for it. I know I'm really excited for your line launch. I love fashion. And so I'm really excited to check out your new designs and the ones you did yourself and to see everything you have coming up. And I'm wishing you so much success with everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I also want to thank you for being a guest on the Female Veterans Podcast and sharing your time with me. I've had so much fun connecting with you and I hope that you'll keep in touch and you know, absolutely let us know how your launch goes. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Thank you so much. The pleasure has been all mine. And with that, I am going to wrap it up. So I want to say thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. I appreciate you. I love you guys. And I will talk to you next time.